When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Tony Kennett, who is another bro with a show, just like yours truly. He's a radio host, podcast host, and also a opinionator at large. I spoke with Tony a couple years ago about teachers unions in the state of Indiana, and in this conversation we talk about current events and the political situation, mostly in America, how America looks itself and how we process information and think about what's important to us. He is a very Midwestern kind of guy, very straightforward, and yet he's got this theatrical flair that makes him rather textured in his philosophy and his expressions. I really enjoy him. You can find links to his work down there in the description. Without further ado, here is Tony Kennett. And fatherhood? Are you winning that particular one? I'd say I, I really love being a uh, dad of two. Um, I a lot of things that I thought were fantastic. Um, I don't know. Uh, it just uh, a lot of things that I thought like were the best stuff ever um, just ended up being extra stellar and fantastic. And the things that I thought were good ended up being great. Huh. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. I guess there was just a lot of stuff that I wasn't really expecting about being a dad that just ended up being pretty fantastic. Yeah. Do you feel like you're different or more of yourself? No. Is it um, release your flavor crystals kind of? I, I um, I was told that I was going to be different. I was told that like, oh, it's going to be so much of a change, and you're just going to be a totally different person, and all this other stuff. And I don't really think that that occurred. Um. And and I wouldn't even say that like my priorities are different because i knew that my priorities were going to change and i had like already made that decision um i so i don't think i really changed as a person i i've discovered more not really about myself or anything um i don't know i i, I guess I, I don't think i've like i've changed it's just like yeah i don't know Here some of are. my expectations have been surpassed yeah uh, daughter, son, 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 daughter, daughter, uh, daughter, then son. So the son is the new one. That's, that's two oh, weeks wow. and some change. Oh, geez. Two weeks. Wow. Wow. It, uh, there, I guess there's just like that. Um, what's it called? The dyad, the mother child kind of like the, the baby came from inside of her to the outside, but there's still like that those first few weeks, the, the mother and the baby are still like kind of one being, is that true or are they distinct? I mean, it definitely can tell that there are times when, at least the first couple of days, there are times when he still clearly wished that he was in the womb. Um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, as someone who studied a lot of OB stuff when I was a, a pre-med undergrad, um, that was the field that I wanted to go into before I ended up changing over to education. Yeah. Um, that... I mean, it, it, the watching the the hormonal processes uh, and and watching you know how like uh, my wife in in breastfeeding like that there are changes that occur 
um, that that make what the kid needs more like she she responds hormonally and then pheromonally uh, to things that he needs and yeah. it's it's just really interesting it's really amazing to watch it was really amazing last time like when our when our daughter got sick that like the consistency and the color of like the breast milk changed in order to um huh. aid her recovery it was incredible wow. it's, it's it's a really really cool process scientifically wow does it, what what happens to the dad does he have pheromones does he change does he respond to this situation? I don't think that there is, I mean, it, not hormonally, it, instinctively, hmm. but the biological role of the male is more suited to um, protection and provision. And so a lot, it, you, one could make the case that um, the reason that over history, like females biologically have been more attuned towards like administration and coordination, whereas as uh, males have been more attuned towards um, kind of outward action um, and protection uh, is kind of mirrored neurologically in a lot of the ways that that we respond to events instinctively. Um, and I don't just mean um, acting on presented mental instinct, but I mean the uh, uh, the parasyn, the uh, the P in S, um, not just like the central nervous system, but the parasympathetic or the parasympathetic yeah. neural nervous system, um, and like the way that those those responses kind of come forward is really neat. Um, so there's there's just that kind of a thing uh, that that's interesting to notice. But um, I don't necessarily think there's maybe any hormonal or pheromonal things, uh, at least none that I've. You know, none that I've noticed. Not that I've really necessarily been looking for them, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do a bunch of blood work. I, I wouldn't suppose you'd be doing that just to, out of curiosity. Um, uh, I, I'm not as much the the science experiment as uh, as as I, I don't do a lot of um, medical monitor and tracking as, as I used to, kind of when I was in college. Yeah. So I, we're gathered here today out of curiosity for me. I saw you, uh, we, we interviewed a while ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, and you were involved, our, our discussion covered the uh, teachers union and the state of education in your state. And uh, then we went our separate ways. And then you popped up in my feed on Twitter this summer or last summer, maybe last spring, covering the Maui um, uh, hubbaloo or tragedy or crisis, whatever it was. Um, and then you, you seemed like you were on a news crew all of a sudden. Like you, you've gone, your life has gone in this direction. Now you have a radio show. What what are you doing? Like what what's are you like a media personality? Are you a media man? Are you an anchor? Like what what are you doing? What's going on? So um, I've always been interested in media. Um, it's always something that I've enjoyed. Uh, when I was in high school, um, we had like a, a pep rally. The cheerleaders used to put on this pep rally, and they were awful. Oh, everyone was just so boring. <laughs> and it was in this big gymnasium that we didn't fill because we weren't a big enough high school. And they would like trot out the basketball players. And it was just a bunch of cheers that we'd all heard 385,000 times. And it was just oh, it was awful, sucked. 
And I had this idea in my head because since I was in junior high, I'd been messing around with at the time some pirated version of Sony Vegas messing around with media. Video editing fascinated me. I mean, you could make all this stuff. And I made all of the cringy, awful, like home movies that a lot of kids yeah. made um, in their junior and middle high school years that are millennials and I was an earlier Gen Z after me. Um, thank God I just never put them on YouTube. <laughs> uh, but. Um, Anywho, I got this idea. It was like, well, this is being done really poorly and that bothers me. Things that are done poorly bother me. Um, that frustrates me on nigh on end. I, I cannot stand it. And so I uh, talked to the, the cheerleading coach and, and a few others at the school. And I ended up designing the next pep rally myself. And uh, I ended up hosting it like an ESPN show. So I brought everyone into the auditorium and it's just me sitting at a desk. And I had at the time, you know, stream decks weren't around yet. So I had... Yeah. Uh, some kind of pseudo button layout to play a bunch of sound effects and music as everyone was walking in. And then I had the cheerleaders act as like they were the interviewers and the reporters on like the CSPN show. <laughs> and that's how we did the pep rally. And it was wildly, it was everyone had a great time. That's the more I had like its own like commercials that I made that were yeah, just yeah, like yeah. things from around the school. And I loved it. So I've always loved media. Um, in college, I, I did some acting, but I just really enjoyed um messing around with things like pr i learned photoshop very early on when i was in college because i was bored to death in my general biology 2 class and um i just picked it up because again things that were done well it's so easy to make like a very clean graphic it's so easy to make a very clean piece of media and it can take the most basic talking shriveled up talking point and turn it into something really cool and my classroom had a ton of this stuff so I wrote a lot of curriculum, writing curriculum and like writing media for a show um, are pretty similar uh, yeah. because as a teacher, you're basically running kind of an interactive stream or news show just with students in front of you. That's really all it is. Yeah. Um, you, you can make the case that a lot of political pundits are just teachers. Um, some of them are, are better than others, but their, their job yeah. is to inform an, the audience and then instruct them on the worldviews and the consequences surrounding those things and inform them about maybe ways that certain systems work that they don't know. So as to what I'm doing now, um, I had started, since I had started doing a lot of political discourse and writing, I had also been very critical back when I wrote for Lone Conservative of like how we did social media. And so I ended up joining the social media team there and like creating a lot of graphics. I, I messed around with a uh, March Madness for right wing personalities um, huh. that was around a couple of years ago. And I did like a little podcast about that and like, just like just goofy things like that. And then when we did chalkboard review, um, I ended up doing an interview series that became a podcast as much as I did not want to do a podcast. I hate podcasts. It's something <sighs> no one knows about me. I'm I hate sorry. podcasts. I hate doing I'm, them. I, I can't listen one, to them. Yeah. It, well, it's probably, no, no, it's not. I love being part of a conversation, but yeah. like, I don't listen to podcasts. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I, I very occasionally listen to a couple you, of news ones. When you're when driving I'm through working. traffic, are you like plugged into audiobooks? Like, how do you put your head? There, to there are some audiobooks, words? and occasionally when I'm in traffic, again, there are a couple of news podcasts that I listen to that yeah. I would probably more equate to like watching the news at home. Um, I would say though that I'm more listening to the audio of some kinds of YouTube videos or listening to music. Um, I'm a big music musician oh, okay. kind of guy. 
Yeah. And okay. so yeah. Uh, the same old tired millennial music playlists are usually what? what's governing. What does that what mean? What is there. millennial? Are is like is this like Blink or something? Um. So millennial like culture biscuit? can really <laughs> millennial culture really adopted uh, a lot of the rock that came from kind of the 70s and the 80s and blended it with the the pop and the alternative culture, whether it's alternative through rap, alternative through folk or alternative through alt rock or punk yeah. um, and kind of blends that through. So you could see Green Day, Fleetwood Mac um, yeah. and just a whole host of other like similar blends of junk on millennial playlists. And it's basically those who were kids of some sort. If you remembered slash up through high school, um, around 9-11 when the 90s culture in the United States truly ended because the 90s ended on September 11th of 2001 like that was the end of you know what in the matrix they joke as is the peak of of civilization yeah in, in that American post yeah right the post-war yeah. dynamic um, that's when that changes and so that's kind of when that cutoff slices and you see music tastes media tastes and cultural tastes change with those who don't remember 9-11 afterwards and then Generation X was more kind of buffered against it, having not necessarily similar tragedies, but a different kind of way of looking at culture yeah. um, kind of through that lens. So yeah. when I say millennial, that's kind of how I, I don't know, I okay. like to, I frame it that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just brought up a lot of things. So what is your, you're doing media, what is your, I guess, I, I looked it up, I knew this in the back of my head, but pundit does come from the Sanskrit word for learned man. So it is a teacher. You are, I guess. Oh, really? It's the same thing. Yeah, it does. Oh, um, cool. Oh, yeah. no, I, I, so, I swear I have never looked up the uh, um, the etymology of pundit before. Yeah. But you're spot on with what you're doing and, and you spent time educating and now you're doing media. How did you get into this media gig and what is it? What are you, what are you providing? Like you already know that on some level you're being a teacher. Like what are you filling up this form with? What are you the pursuing? The content is that as, as a teacher, I was very good at taking kind of high brow concepts that I found increasingly through my time in education that some people like to gatekeep. Education professors, academics, legislators, lawyers, doctors, uh, uh, researchers of every class, basically anyone that has one foot in the door of academia, they love gatekeeping. Hmm. It comes with the title. Um, and and it there's an idea that, well, I can use all of these really big words until you think that I'm very impressive. And if I use big enough words and I say them authoritatively enough, then you won't question me. And that always has bothered me. It's been a thorn under the saddle for a long time. Huh. And that comes out in a lot of different stuff that I do. Um, so when I when I critique movies, uh, or like the writing of movies, um, it's it's digging into these concepts that all these film and theater and art majors like use big words to describe world building or character development. And so then I take the difficult, crazy concept and I break it down to the average person because I at least like to believe that I am just a very average Hoosier in Indiana. I grew up in the sticks, in the mud and the dirt. Uh, and still do try to help, you know, my family keep up the farm. Uh, I have been hired by several local farmers to go clear some coyote problems out during the Ooh. fall and the winter. That sounds like, like, I like a to say that clearing coyote problems out. Where are you from? Uh, well, uh, I'm in Western Washington, but I'm from California. 
Okay, so in in the Midwest, we have a lot of of kind of micro agriculture and livestock groups at at farms. So sometimes it's more economical to raise chickens on the side or raise a small group of livestock, and you keep those outside. And bordering the the property, the farmstead itself, are contiguous plots of fields and woods, yeah. um, and there are a lot of wild coyotes, which are like kind of a half wolf, half dog, wild animal that's a predator and a scavenger at times. And they will hunt and break in. They'll kill your pets and yeah. they'll kill the chickens. And that's not good. They are vermin. And so there's a way to hunt them. And so there's so I, I uh, I'll go with another person. You set up the L formation and you clear out some of the animals that are threatening livestock there's no way to scare them away uh yeah. there's no like scarecrow for coyotes there's no fence that can keep them out real realistically yeah. it doesn't quite work like that so yeah. so when i sound like i feel like I, I try to mimic the common hoosier for my shows and my content there's the former educator thing that's always going to follow me around um and i like that because i loved teaching i did and i loved the click moment when the lights would come on with a kid um but when I would, when I would start to talk about things on the air and I was invited on doing like some guest hosting and some education slots, I just commented on whatever came to mind with the same kind of analysis that I had pretty much at the normal time. And, and that means that Sometimes the establishment folks are right. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes the populists are right. Sometimes they're wrong. And the trad cons and the libertarians and so on. And it is for my show. If I had to describe it into an elevator pitch, um, it's basically the average Hoosiers take on local and national news. And so the first segment of the show is always a quick news roundup. I just tackle some of the biggest stories from the day. And then we usually dig into a mix of culture stuff, positive, negative, and it's basically kind of a soup du jour of, you know, whatever comes to mind or whatever I feel like maybe the average person that's listening might find interesting to talk about or hear about. Do you ever find yourself going out to uh, go to clear out some coyotes in the political domain? Have you have you uh, have you found yourself? You, you said you get touchy around people who are gatekeeping and stuff. And when we spoke earlier, uh, last time we spoke, uh, you, you kind of. You had you had it after these teacher unions, you know. You, you see mm -hmm. people at behaving incorrectly, or there's something. There's a problem there. Um, yeah. Just over the last year, what what are some of the things that have just like really grinded your gears or got caught in your craw that you had to really focus on and take time to really tease apart? Uh, the the apathy, the apathetic, um, but selfishly passionate i don't mean passion for progress i mean passion for being noticed for participating um political the influence influencers um, kind of a little less so so the, the the way to say this in in perhaps a rough way that is not all inclusive but most often fits the bill eight out of ten times it's going to be a suburban white woman eight out of ten times it's 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 some suburban white woman who has nothing to do in her life um, her marriage is probably not the best. Uh, she has very little community involvement. She has a job that she doesn't really care for. Uh, but she, like many in suburbia before them, seek purpose and status symbol life because there's an element of living off of the spoils of the Cold War and 
kind of having all of your needs met that leaves one very bored, especially when you're not doing a lot of physical or mental labor to acquire those resources. Yeah. Um, and it leaves people without a sense of purpose. And this has been a hallmark of American society for a very long time, um, probably since the boomers hit about 15 or 16. Um, and the immeasurable damage that it causes is a lot of people suggesting that a lot of things have moral impetus that yeah. don't. So, for example, someone listening to this is going to go, oh, Tony says a urban white woman, therefore he's sexist. Um, no, that's no, that, Karen's. Right. Karen would, would be the term that's most normally ascribed. Yeah. Um, and some of them come from the right. A lot of them come from the left uh, because there's a, an act of tearing down society that kind of comes along with it to feel like you're some kind of a pseudo revolutionary yeah. um, or some kind of a great defender of whatever as often comes on the, the right and the left. Are you are you describing the people with the uh, that in this house we believe signs? Is that close to what yes. you're, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Okay, we, so we, the people the, with the that, these vacuous that moral statements mm -hmm. um, that aren't propped up by something or, or you sense some sort of right. vacuity there. Right. So they, 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 they want to vote in some kind of a policy, that, but they're not willing to be personally invested. So they, they want to vote for their city to be a sanctuary city, but they don't want to keep the migrants in their house. They want to vote for yeah. kids to be, you know, transed, but they don't actually want to study the issues that a child is going through in regards to gender dysphoria. Um, they're very quick to say, oh, I have depression, I have anxiety, but yet they are they're almost proud of having that issue of which that they claim they have. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird normalizing to make themselves feel important. It's the, it's the upper middle class philanthropist is, is really the, the modern annoyance yeah. in, in society. And those groups, I, I do, I do relish taking down. Like um, whether that's altruists kind of thing. I would say selfish altruism. That's not okay. even really altruistic. It's it's self faux altruism, um, because there's an aspect of corporate American culture that believed that like holding benefits for something meant that you were really doing something good, and you would show up to the event, and you would eat some really garbage catered meal, and you all would clap because you paid fifty dollars for a plate to be given to this organization that says that they're going to help the Tutsi tribe get a meal for the next couple of months. And Sarah McLaughlin gets on stage and sings Arms of an Angel and everyone goes home. And there's this kind of self-fulfillment that you think that you've done something when realistically it's a shortcut to actually being anything for your community. And I would say that what I'm most annoyed with right now is this argument in the United States, both from the left and the right, that what we want to do is just find a shortcut so that we can go back to not caring and that we can go back to enjoying our uh, Panem at circensis, our bread and circuses and hmm. and kicking back off of the fruits of the labors like the boomers did and showed was virtuous. And then like Generation X did a little less and showed that was virtuous. Um, but that's not how the world works. And that's not how society works. And that's not what provides satisfaction and fulfillment. Um, and it's it's running very short, very quickly. And so the ideas are getting more outrageous. The behavior is getting more outlandish. It's It's like a person who was addicted to a hallucinogen chasing the high and hmm. will become more unstable and will do a class of more unstable things in order to seek that high. And you see that with individuals who are basically chasing after moral acceptance and, like you said, influence to a degree 
because there's no satisfaction fulfillment. But they think this is what will do it because when you grew up, what did you see on TV? You saw LeVar Burton grandstanding about how great it was to be a part of activism, whether it was community activism or educational yeah. activism or environmental activism. Yeah. He brought him up. He just, he dissed on the moms of liberty. Um, I don't no, say. he didn't diss them. He, 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 he said hands will not have to be thrown tonight, um, suggesting that he would beat women. Um, and if he's making a joke, okay, it's not exactly the kind of joke that LeVar has been known to make over the years. Um, and regardless of whether you disagree with moms politically or not saying, oh, it's a good thing that I don't have to get violent if any of them were here is kind of a weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that good old LeVar. But yeah, but I, yeah, or the, you know, Mark Hamill when, uh, you know, that, that don't say gay thing that didn't exist. And then he shows up right. on Twitter and gay, 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 oh, gay, yeah. like whatever. Um, it's <coughs> especially with people who already have status. It's like, are you low information? Do you not know that there's an issue here or are you just swept up in a tide and you're just a part of the, I guess it goes back to that, um, that rally. The, the high school rally. You're just a part of the rally. Like there's nothing actually going on. There's not even a sports team anymore. I, I guess the whole thing is, is just a sport where you're just cheering on. You're, you're part of that. That uh, You're cheering that because you have movement. to. It's, it's consume and cheer. It's consume and cheer. It is, okay. it is the base form of, of hedonism. Um, and it's, it's, it is what happens. So um, you see this leak out in cartoon imagery and literature every once in a while. Huh. Where you you uh, what appears on screen is a very overweight character. You've have you seen Wally? No. Wait. Okay. Uh, so so Wally the, so, the 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 movie Wally the, the little the, robot. Yeah, the robot movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Wally goes to space. Earth is a mess, and he gets to the rocket. And when you see you see all of these like fat people, all of their bones have disintegrated almost. And they're rolling around in chairs. They're drinking their food from cups. Nothing is entertaining. They're all bored. Screens. They're consuming, and then that's it. And the, the Matrix also kind of pointed this out a little bit as well. That the the reason that that cultural point leaks out is innately we understand that just a a continual orgy of Put on the gas pedal pleasure does not satisfy. It doesn't. Um, you, again, you see this again in, in Inception. It comes out with the, the guys in, in Dubai who are all hooked up and dreaming yeah. because life isn't good enough. And it's it, you really Ayn Rand talks about this um, pretty succinctly in, in what is it, Atlas Shrugged. Um, there's just this idea that humans just endlessly seeking pleasure, which is what the boomers thought like World War Two was for. That's the real secret that I will hmm. really piss a lot of people off and I don't care is that when the boomers parents, the greatest generation got home from World War Two and were suddenly able because the United States was the only economy on Earth standing, period, yeah. like the only one that was standing. So like money was coming in flush and thick. And so they were building all of these houses and this boon from post-war technology, all of these appliances and the standard of living like tripled in like two years. Yeah. And boomers were raised thinking, oh, all of this stuff has made my parents happy. So that's what must make you happy. And so then they lived in that very, that's right afterward what happened, the sexual revolution. And yeah. so like the American culture stopped becoming the Teddy Rooseveltian Abrahamic dream of go out, pioneer, carve something out of nature and build a community that is not collectivist, but is individualistically contributing. And had become basically suckling at the teat of just infinite pleasure and opium. And 
that absolutely the the greatest generation then fought the cold war um and won the cold war and the boomers just like people like to think that the boomers won the cold war no they absolutely did not they were dragged through a couple of wars it woke some of the boomer population up but basically the the boomer generation started this process in the united states of living kind of like the the french aristocracy before the french revolution and thus our country kind of settled into this eternal satiation and that bothers me um to get back to your question about media and why do i do this it bothers me because it it runs out you have an entire culture who's literal and i don't i'm the metaphor is so thin at this point that there are cases in which this is actually true where there are people who are activists for children or for education who are suggesting that nutritionally it doesn't matter what what a kid needs if a kid wants brownies you give them brownies because not to give them brownies is fat phobic and not to cut off their genitals is transphobic and not to tell them that they can do whatever is, well, they're just going to go do it anyway. They're just going to look at porn anyway. So why would you make an age restriction for porn? They're going to get to it anyway. So you might as well be the cool parent who gives their kids what they want. And, and it'll all be just, it'll all be cool and fresh and fun and whatever. And it is ripping society to, we don't have a society anymore, a common thread it's built on a bunch of mismatched, jarbled, garbled nonsense that has about as solid of a foundation as a child's sandbox. Good God, you're blackpilling me this morning. But hold on. Before we move on from that, there's this really interesting kind of polarity that you brought up where you don't like uh, these people who gatekeep ideas like that, that sticks in your craw. But you also don't like people who are trying to just dismantle all all gates all, all fences in the Chestertonian sense for children. So there's nice. There's a there's a, a regulation of of annoyance where you're seeing these different things. I, I wonder if uh, do you see the uh, a through line between the people who are uh, you know um, putting walls around the, these walled gardens of ideas and the people who are uh, trying to just completely liberate all of uh, society from anything that that causes what you know it to function and to actually progress so i think i might need you to go into a little more detail and, and define those two groups for me because i'm not mm. sure that i'm i'm latching on to what you're saying and also no, just, I, I just wanted yeah. to, to mention this real quick i'm sorry that I, I checked my phone a couple of times during this uh i uh had my wife had been texting me some updates on the kids so i Is everything I, okay i don't mean to, I, I really don't mean it to look as though i i have little interest i just no, I don't want her to feel stranded and alone with the with the kids. Uh, Absolutely. Would you please define those groups a little more for me? Yeah. So I uh, thanks for bringing that up because I know some people in the comments would would have comment on that, but now you, you beat them to the punch there. Um, so I guess there's these. Uh, it just there's just some sort of tension there when you brought because I have the I have very similar annoyances. Um, or, or problems with these groups, the people who uh, wall off these ideas, right? Um, like you kind of mentioned, and you get too far into it, but when you, you said you talked about movies or you talk about like, uh, when you talk about academia, there's a lot of the, oh, the, the these academics who, who gatekeep very, really yeah, fancy terms. Yeah. And then the credential, credentialism, you know, like there's this, like, we're better than you. I mean, it's, a, it's the yeah, same the, the people are, jerk. 
yeah, the circle jerk, th- those same people are the ones who are eroding all the other gates, like the actual gates that kept the monsters out, the ones that um, may uh, work better than nothing against the coyotes, mm. right? Um, mm. You know, which would be reg- appetite regulation. Um, identity is not the end all be all of what a human being is. Um, you know, just pure, the, the people who are trying to liberate society from gravity itself are the ones who are trying to who are most uh, tenaciously clinging to their own status and their own ideas, their own signal of virtue. It just seems like I'm, I'm kind of just shooting in the dark because the, that's what you're, uh, what you were talking about. So sparked there's, me. there's, there's a, a, not a paradoxical issue, but there, there is a, a bit of uh, a red flag that's popped up, which is that it's, it's, uh, it's called the unused key. If they have huh. the knowledge, theoretically, by thus being, you know, gatekeepers, then why do they believe and execute the policies that are damaging to a society that allows them to continue to live that way? So kind of like the the question of the failure of the Roman Senate to bring up the, you know, everyone's got to mention Rome at least once a day. Yeah, we got to do Rome. We got to do Rome. Mm. We're men here. Absolutely. The, We're my, bros with shows. We have to talk about Rome at least once. I like that bros with shows. Um, I gotta say that this goes back to the fake it before you make it. The biggest lie you're told as a kid is that adults know what they're doing. There are I have yet to find an adult that truly knows what they're doing and everything. Mm. Um, mm. Everyone is making it up as they go, and if anyone tells you they're not, they are a liar. Now you can make things up as you go based on more solid and classically proven information. Or, as I like to call, based on um, genuine and real science, which is observable, reproducible, and quantifiable, um, you can make things up as you go based on better information, but you're still making things up. The issue is that a lot of the vast majority of academia uh, conflates qualitative and quantitative data. Um, they believe that that feelings and how an individual comes away feeling, which is a very soft science that has never been reproducible or quantifiable or reproducible once. Um, we have never hit a point in which we can make those things quantitative. And so qualitative data has just kind of been like served up alongside it. Academia has become all qualitative and very little quantitative. Um, and what that means is that whereas science and the academics used to be built on, we can have a lot of soft ideas, but they will eventually butt up against the harsh truths of reality and the numbers and, and things that are true and, and some things that we may not be able to answer, but we can reproduce them and quantify them and and deal with them in real time. Um, at some point, people said, well, but I really, really want what I believe to make sense here. And so they've incorporated it into academia. So that's a part of it is that a lot of people are stupidly bouncing around, putting the wrong trust in the wrong things. And so when someone comes up to you and says, well, my lived experience is that black people are really beaten up in this country right now today. You can't say anything against that because technically they have qualitative data to support it. And you see this in racial equity trainings when you when you have individuals that say, well, according to this graph, um, black people said that 90 percent of black people said they went to the DMV and they felt that they were acted against racially. And so they'll, they'll show you this chart and they're like 90 percent said they felt someone was racist towards them at the DMV. Ten percent said they didn't. Here's the real secret. The DMV sucks. Um, and quantitatively, there's no data to suggest that anyone at the DMV said or did anything racial. But if you can simply say, well, my truth is, is that yeah. I believe I'm a woman. And so therefore, if I say I'm happy, 
post-surgery, then therefore that is scientific evidence that I am mentally healthy. No, that's not quantitative. But in academia, we've conflated the two. So what was quantitative data, which is an individual operating neurotypically, I have medically diagnosed ADHD, a combined presentation, which means part of it was learned, probably due to screen addiction at a young age, and part of it is neurological, meaning that I have a chemical imbalance that has to be addressed. Yeah. So that is not neurotypical. My ADHD is not a good thing. It's not a beneficial thing. Autism is not a good thing. It's not a beneficial thing. Neither is Down syndrome. It, you can be a great person. You can be a wonderful person and have something that is not neurotypical. But to suggest that because we love the person who is not neurotypical means that we have to say the neurotypical disadvantage is a good thing is incredibly damaging. That's modern academia, though. And yeah. this comes from that LeVar Burton, that kind of 1980s and 90s. Well, you're all special and wonderful. And you, you don't have a learning deficiency. You just learn differently. And we've created that. So the reason that is... First of all, I would attribute ignorance before malice almost every time because yeah. to be malice, to be malicious requires you to privately live in a different way. And there are issues of malice. Teachers, union officials who send their kids to private schools. That's an issue of malice because you know what's better, yet you're yeah. sending your kids elsewhere. But academics that have trans kids and participate in all of this, it's blind ignorance that comes from addiction to a a, a very strong social drug, I would say. Yeah, Sorry yeah. for the long answer there. That's no, just no, no, it's that's kind okay. of a hard thing to wrap up in a bow completely. <laughs> yeah. Well you um insofar as you're diagnosing something, like I asked you it was this was in the context like, well what is the content you're doing and then like what what's something that you really want to dig into it's like there's this class of people and and you have a historic kind of understanding of what they're from and you also have like the the system dynamic understanding of like how how they operate where their ideas come from how do you counter that is it enough to diagnose that how do you, uh, if, if it is a Karen that you're trying to reach, are you even trying to reach them? Or are you just trying to like say, these people need to be taken down a notch? Um, so the, the, that question's a lot easier to answer first. The answer is it depends on the person. It depends on the situation. It depends on what medium that I'm on. If yeah. I'm having a private conversation with a person, person to person, and there aren't cameras out and no one's trying to be funny, then I am trying to convince them. Um, and I'll explain what that looks like here in a second, because I will rebuff the the class of people designation, because I think that's actually kind of part of the, the problem that a lot of people on the right fall into or in the center fall into immediately. It's all it's kind of a, a short fix to addressing the problem. Um, but if I'm if I'm being recorded, if I'm in front of a state legislature, um, if I'm on the air and I have someone who has decided now I've had real conversations on the air before I'm trying to convince them. Absolutely. But once I detect that the attitude's getting crappy, once I detect that they're showboating or once I detect or infer that things are going south real quick, well, then I'm in it. I'm OK, fine. Then I'll put on the boxing gloves because now I'm not I'm not speaking with you. I'm speaking to my audience. OK, now yeah. I am taking you down so that they know how much of a fraud or a sham you are. I want them to walk away with a lower opinion of your ideology, not you. Otherwise, I would say, look at you. You're you're fat and you're ugly and you're blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. Not ad hom, but actually focusing on, look, your idea is pitiful. Here are the 15 flaws in what you just said. They don't work practically. They don't work pragmatically. They don't work in any base set of principles that have been proven to be effective for mankind. And also, they're just really bad ideas. 
And so yeah. that's kind of the difference. Now, as to address it, I don't think that really realistically, and the reason that I struggled to articulate it earlier on, I don't think it's a class issue. Otherwise, every suburban white woman would have this problem, and they don't. You have people that are in the rural in the sticks who vote completely different or come from the rural South or the inner city South, people who are black, white, Hispanic, uh, generational immigrants versus have been here for a long time, bilingual, unilingual. It's not a class issue. Populists cannot differentiate. It's so easy to say the elites, the elites, the elites. And it's like, okay, what the left is doing by saying racism, 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 you're doing the exact same thing. It's a quick fix. It's so easy to say, well, yeah, but like 80% of the time it's the elites. That's very true. People with money and nothing to do cause a lot of problems because they're stupid, just like everyone in their base form is stupid. All guys neurologically are a little bit stupid. All girls neurologically are a little bit crazy. Yeah. That's going to come forward the more resources that you have and the more time on your hands, stuff's going to leak out. As was said quite often during the presidential election, Trump, dude's kind of crazy. Dude's kind of wacko. You can hide that and he can be very presidential and excellent for a while, but every once in a while, something's going to leak out. That's that's how people are. Most of us, when things leak out, are not in front of people for others to see it. When it's like two in the morning and you just like yell at your bathroom mirror, as someone was telling me the other day, just like a just to... I haven't yelled in a while. What's that like? And then they yell. Like, that's kind of a crazy thing to do. But every person out there is weird. Just like every person out there has very little idea what they're doing in life. And there's a lot of realism to come to terms with that. I think that more realistically, it is a cultural pervasion that has touched every single one of us. Because I, on the air, have at times said suburban white women in exasperation, half jokingly, but half seriously. Every one of us has in a way, shape, and form engaged in this kind of hedonistic shortcut lifestyle in our personal philosophy and attitude. Um, And a lot of people make the mistake of just flipping over to stoicism. That's not the answer either. I'm sorry to all the Calvinists out there. Um, uh, But as far as philosophy goes in addressing it, cultural issues that are tempting based on a fall, a lot of us don't have a, a decent worldview based on a core of philosophy that's greater than ourselves to anchor us to. And so we kind of end up drifting in and out of ways to seek after pleasure that we see effectively shown in others. Yeah. So I, I think it's less of a class thing and more of just, it's very easy for anyone to fall into this, which is a Jordan Peterson, uh, not an idea. Jung said this quite consistency. Anyone can turn into a Nazi and I don't mean politically. I mean, anyone can do bad things. Anyone Every person is capable of the worst sin that you can imagine. Um, And everyone can participate in identity politics. This is what Nikki Haley was popular in the Republican Party because she's a woman. Yeah. Like, that's it. Really? She she had like no, like, just being very clear. And I've spoken to her before. She's not dumb. But like a lot of her political campaign was a an identity politics run for some establishmentarian groups on the right, which thought, well, I'll just run with the same kind of stuff the left does because it works. Yeah. Everyone participates in that. And I think that an element of that can be hypocritical when you notice it and do it anyway. But a lot of it's so easily fallen into everyone has not returned to cart at some time or another. There's no individual that is sinless. I mean, that's why Paul goes into so much depth about that concept in Romans. 
Well, so you, that's a, that's a great segue. So I was wondering, um, how faith manifests in your media in in your work or in how you design, um, your message or how you try to attain a virtue of signal or a virtue in your signal, the signals that you send. I think about this one a lot because, uh, I'm, a, a a Christian and then denominationally, which means a lot less, but it kind of is a way, a method of communicating what I hold dear in uh, Christian authority. I am a, a Baptist and an independent fundamental Baptist, which means that uh, oh, a lot of Bible college professors are probably growling that I'm not going to remember all of the little things that we yeah. you know learned. Uh, this is why, why, but like the basically that scripture the bible itself is the ultimate authority and that i am measuring my life and my actions against it and i wrestle quite often with what i am supposed to do when i'm on the air and and certain things come up as that are like that have to do with my faith which everything has to do with my faith i mean uh, christ is everything and he is the solution to all of this stuff um and i i believe that losing a common ethos of the natural sin of man and the importance of of redemption um and actionable improvement and justification past that point uh is one of the reasons that we've fallen into hedonism so quickly the the easiest answer I can give you is that I don't think about it and I just I just let it flow. Yeah. Um, and that I don't have any skeletons in the closet. I am the exact same on the air as I am off the air. I mean, to a T. Uh, if you run into me on the street, I will talk the exact same way I'm talking to you now. Maybe it's extremely articulate and precise. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe if the, the scripture pops into my mind, I'll share it. Like I said, with Paul and Romans, I didn't have that like ready to go. I was just like, oh, we're talking about how every man is flawed. And so that's for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's from Romans. And so that's kind of how I I do it. I just assume I'm going to try to do my best to be worthy of of his praise his him being christ in in this context and i'll just kind of go for it i'm genuinely the short answer i have for you here is i'm just doing my best yeah all of it like the show the the my articles is i am just giving it my best and by making it up as i go is that a lot of this is is structured improv um and I try very hard to keep my mind focused on what I'm aiming at until I've reached that goal. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. Originally, I wanted to be a college professor. That didn't happen. Yeah. So, well, you know, you that's... There you go. I'm, I, look, if there are any colleges that want to have me, you know, <laughs> on as a some associate adjunct to teach like a one semester elective on curriculum design, I think I could bring a lot to that. But yeah. I'm very busy at the moment and yeah, I'm right. not exactly producing any curricular content at the moment. So yeah. Why um why Christianity? How how'd you stumble on that? Well first and foremost I was I was raised uh by uh parents and grandparents who took their faith as an, an absolute um, and so growing up, I was, I was raised in a, in a Bible believing church salvation always, um, my sin always made a lot of sense to me. I, I can't, I don't think that there are very many people left that would say they've never done anything wrong. Um, and, and, and it just all made very good sense. And, uh, I, I was 
saved. I accepted Christ as my savior at a young age. Um, and ever since then, I, um, it's, it's just been very second nature to me and it, it makes sense to me scientifically, um, both biologically and, and, and in the physics and chemistry aspects as well. Uh, it makes pathological and ethological sense to me, um, both in the arguments for why it is different than the other world's religions, uh, the historical framework that, that argues in its favor, um, and a satisfaction for the things that I've received from it. Uh, like the peace that passes all understanding that I'm promised um, mm. in knowing that I can cast all of my cares upon him for because he cares for me. Um, it's it's a part of me. I don't know. It's it. Uh, honestly, it's a weird question for me to answer because it's like asking, hey, why do you keep your left leg around? And it's <laughs> it's it's a part of me. It is it is the very thing of, of which I am anchored to. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes in my foolishness and my stupor uh, as a garbage creature who will tend towards wrong because every every human is inherently sinful you don't have to teach a toddler how to lie or cheat or steal they'll do it because like that's the natural aspect of humanity um and that in my sinful nature though i do tend to stray from him um he pursues me ceaselessly and I am re-anchored constantly it's one of the reasons i you know i i, I go to a bible believing church and I sit under a, a pastor who places the Bible above uh, himself and cares very deeply about his congregation. Those are just some of the things that, that come to mind. But the, the core answer of why I am is just because it's the answer. And you just like just hands down. Hmm. Is Christian nationalism possible or desirable or both or neither? I think that the arguments for and against it are less important and far too, so I'm, I'm friends with James Lindsay and, and James is a mentor of mine and also some people that have recently become kind of, let's say not the best of friends with James are also mentors of mine. I, I, I try to have a lot of mentors because yeah. I've all, I've loved the idea of, of mentorship and, and masters training the apprentice since I was a very young kid. Um, but I know that James often talks about like, you know, Christian nationalism. And then there are a lot of some of my friends on kind of the populist side who went from kind of national conservatism to Christian nationalism. Uh, first of all, I don't think that it's possible in any way, shape or form. Uh, and the reason I don't think it's possible is because <laughs> while there are moments the Republican Party comes together, most often there are four factions of Republicans. There are uh, traditional conservatives. There are libertarians. I know a lot of libertarians say, well, I'm not a Republican. Oh, okay, sweetie. Um, uh, a lot of uh, populists and then um, establishment. We're really just corporatists. So corporate populism, traditional conservatism and Libertarian, um, yeah. libertarianism. Um, so those concepts um, and, and by the way, what would I call left-leaning libertarian is not is, is social is, is a social pseudo anarchist. Um, anywho, that's that's I'm not okay. even going to get into that one. So yeah, so let's let's, that, let's, the, let's the take a little left because I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. the comments will absolutely love that one. No, okay. Um, anywho, so Republicans can occasionally come together 
and agree on certain things. Usually the other side is bad. We all agree that this is nonsense and we're going to step on the brake and drive 30 miles an hour towards the cliff instead of 90. Um, And normally though, the four factions are separate and distinct. Um, Christianity is a lot of the same way. Um, As an independent fundamental Baptist, I think it is patently silly that the Methodist church right now is having this big, huge, massive battle over what is an entire organization they believe in. I'm getting ready to release an investigation on a Christian university in Illinois uh, that's doing some extra stupid stuff. Um, Then there's the entire the Lutheran church and their synods and the Catholic church and that entire massive thing to get into. I don't see a Christian national estate because you need a lot more denominational unity um, than that. So I don't even see it as a possibility. Um, Founding America as a Christian nation or Judeo-Christian Western ethos or whatever way we're framing it today, I just don't see it as as a thing. Do I think that the leaders in this country should be Christians? Yes, I do. And is it because I think that should be a requirement? No, the the reason that I think the majority of people in leadership should be Christians is because I think that that worldview and ideological ethic has the voters' rights and interests at heart. Um, But it can be used foolishly and maliciously. I mean, look at the absolute divine right of kings, individuals who would also profess faith in, in Lord Jesus Christ that brought a lot of terror and evil upon their subjects and upon uh their peasants in the various wars of of the the middle and post middle ages so i i guess that the argument to me is always the the fear mongering over christian nationalism is, is patently silly um but i think that the people advocating for christian nationalism are using a tool incorrectly in pursuit of a goal they don't quite understand they're hitting a nail with a screwdriver Um, And it can work, but it's not really quite what's going on. They're trying to fasten two pieces of wood together. The Christian nationalist is seeking Christianity restored to a place of respect in the country. Um, That is at the very core what a Christian nationalist. And again, what I just said, the idea that I believe in a firm set of fundamentals espoused in scripture that are objectively Uh, good things for society um, that have built good societies. That's a desirable thing to want. But setting up a Christian nationalist state is not necessarily the way to get there. It's it, it's there's way way less malice in the actors in this argument, and there's far more trying to seek a common goal. And on James Lindsay's side, warning against things that he's seen that James warns against in every nationalistic framework, uh, as as the 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 classical liberal that James is, at least in my opinion. And by the way, all of this, when I say that I could be dead wrong about this, I don't say that as because I'm afraid of people criticizing my opinion. I am giving you my perspective as I've seen it like through that. And if that one is, is flawed, then I'll continue to see, you know, more evidence over the years and change my mind. But at at this time, I think it's, it's kind of a non-issue. Well, you're, you come across to me as a very reasonable person and, um, one value add that you could uh, be performing wittingly or un or non uh, is to make the unreasonable a little bit more reasonable by covering the news, let's say. And in what you're talking about with Christian nationalism, wanting like at the core of that people wanting 
Christianity restored to a place of respect in our country that my mind just automatically jumped to that tragedy that happened uh, a year ago or so, um, where a person who identified as trans man um, Uh, hail and shooting up the, the Nashville Christian school killed a bunch of people and children at a Christian school. And that then our current regime's response to that was to talk about trans people, transphobia, trans being people being in danger. It was, it was totally disrespectful or maybe it was a slight or they're just dumb. Um, The same way that after the uh, Hamas attacks into Israel, uh, that uh, the administration's immediate response was to list Islamoph- Islamophobia, which, by the way, um, looking at post 9-11 America, Islamophobia did not increase in the ways that those statements are suggesting by any sociological data. And I mean, including the quantitative or excuse me, including the qualitative stuff. Yeah. But anywho, just to, to add examples to what yeah. you're suggesting. Yeah. 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 That's, what, yeah. What's going on like on your like you know your your analysis of the cathedral why would they be acting like this why are they acting like this why did they hire a press secretary who cannot talk she can't talk she stumbles every time she speaks she's just like either like from from the dissident right you say the embarrassment is the point they're trying to embarrass us i'm just wondering like this it just seems like so unreasonable you have people on the conservative end getting riled up about this you know feeling disrespect um and maybe the reaction is the is the point so i don't know uh okay um bring up a lot of things hopefully you can no no well well, you're you're fine let's work backwards so first and foremost do you remember uh in a lot so you know how we don't actually know who fired the first shot in the the boston um well we do know who fire who's who ordered fire in the the boston massacre um and and john adams then went to to you know defend the the british officer legally Um, And there are a lot of famous riots and situations in history that have been started because someone did something accidentally. This is echoed in a lot of famous uh, literature and a lot of of famous media in which there's some kind of a mob and someone accidentally backs into someone. Someone kicks over a lantern accidentally. There's some kind of a mistake. Ray Epps accidentally tells everybody to raid the Capitol. Okay. Not not there, but that's... We'll we'll tie into that. Someone doing something out of ignorance can can encourage and strengthen those doing things with malice to act more. So the reason that one of the reasons in leadership that you have to be very careful with your speech is because if someone does something in ignorance, now you have measures on the table in place in which someone who has malicious intent can do the same thing because now it's the norm. And. The reason that the Biden administration as a whole is doing a lot of these things by and large is for many of them because they are ignorantly obsessed with their religion, which is this very humanist, John Deweyan intersectional idea that's very Pablo Ferrer. And, and basically it's this everyone is oppressed that, that I know. And so my tribe is oppressed. And so therefore, any action on earth is a result of said supremacy against the oppressed group. That is critical race theory, very, very overtly and simply explained. And again, one of the reasons that I was so fascinated by it is when I read Gloria Ladson Billings' 
uh, an education professor from Wisconsin, one of the leading education professors in the country, when I read her essays calling for it in favor of it in the 1990s, because she said, well, we can't just tell uh, black students who are struggling in school that it's probably because of poverty caused by fatherlessness out of the sexual revolution in the 60s. Do you remember uh, that whole thing? Yeah, went? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're kind of coming back to it. Well, we have to come up with a different answer. Well, here is this idea that, well, black people have been traditionally oppressed. So therefore, it's that black kids aren't getting enough opportunities. And it's like, but wait a minute, you have white students, like no Hispanic students, by the way, like just white students. And uh, like at the time, we still designated Italian students who were in fatherless situations doing literally just as bad within half a percent as the black students. But and also you had like successful black students with like full families doing like really, really well and it didn't really work. So you, there was this social idea that came as an excuse for everything which is like, I don't want to address the elephant in the room. And so this became a religion, this intersectionality. And it immediately gave all of these people social master's degrees and doctorates. So yeah. if you are a black gay man, you have this social doctorate where you can waltz into a room and go, I am a black gay man. And so therefore, I know what oppression is. I have a doctorate in biology, therefore I know what biology is. It's the same thing. Huh. And again, in an investigation of this, this Illinois University, they brought a guy on stage for chapel and he's like, I'm a black man, I'm going to be talking to the black students. Same thing. It's all yeah. social capital and people get stuff out of it. Corinne Jean-Pierre, her entire merit for being in that position is that her skin is dark and she has a vagina. Yeah. And she likes vaginas. So, she, right, because she's a lesbian, isn't she? I, I don't yeah, care. I'm just saying, like, she's but she's, like, talked about. She's like, yeah. I'm the first black, not sexually traditional, whatever, the press secretary. It, again, it is all the oppression Olympics to reach that hedonistic point, like you talked about earlier as an influencer. Mm. That also opens up the door for people with malice who who believe in more Marxist ideas of class ideology, like, unfortunately, too many populists believe. Like that really mm. awful song, Rich Men North of Richmond which like sounded really good for like a few seconds. And you're like, wait yeah. a minute, this guy's just saying like all rich people are bad and all poor people are good. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. It is your character once again, which defines you and what you do with them. Anyway, all that stuff yeah, yeah, people yeah. with a brain already know, but you do allow when you very stupidly worship this kind of intersectionalism um, or identity politics or whatever we're calling it today, God bless Rush Limbaugh back in the day for doing a segment um, in which he wore a bunch of different ribbons. Like he did a segment in which he had like 15, 20 ribbons on his shirt. And he's like, remember the ribbon days? Like when they had like the ribbons yeah. that, that yeah. like crossed, they looked like this. And there were like 14,000 different colors. And yellow meant you supported the troops. And blue puzzle pieces was for autism. And I, he's like, I'm more virtuous than you because I'm, I'm wearing all of these ribbons. Yeah. When you make that public, then you allow for those who have malicious intent to come in and actually cause problems. Um, and so that's the why behind the, that's the honest to God, why behind the Biden administration. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they're so screwed going into 2024 is because he ran on being a moderate friendly guy who understood everybody. And then the progressive left came in and said, well, if you're really going to be understanding, then you need to call everyone else a Nazi. And so whoever is giving him his Adderall said, Oh, okay. And so that's now how they're running the campaign. 
And so uh, that's why he's like me saying crazy, crazy stuff at Valley Forge and at the, uh, that that uh, church in Charleston, I believe. Was this recently? I, I, he said something crazy. I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he I called thought uh, they talk about, MAGA, took extreme him off the, MAGA. Yeah. Talk, yeah, he called took extreme him off the MAGA air, Republicans on the air and okay. Trump uh, like a, a German from the 1930s. He calls Trump and, and his supporters yeah. Nazis. And then a the, German the, painter. Right. And then he... he uh, called uh he said that the, the culture of white supremacy in the country is it, like the culture of white supremacy is why that that white supremacist shooter went up and, and killed the people in in charleston and um even yeah. though obama was president at the time that that shooting took place anywho that you know, yeah 2015 yeah. so just a lot of weird things but that's kind of where that comes from it's, okay. it's a very weird dynamic on the left right now because the corporatists are still driving the boat um, yet you have progressives kind of shoving oars into the pilot's wheel and saying, you know, like, I'm the captain now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we'll burn yeah. your house down like Kenosha if you disagree. It's it's a very, very weird dynamic. It, it's why watching Fetterman snap against them is the best thing on planet Earth. Because he's off, off script or off meds? Like, is that why is that the best thing on Earth? I, Fetterman. I've I've heard the 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 theory that Fetterman's you know recovering post stroke and that's why he's different. I think that Fetterman probably is more pragmatic and understanding that if the majority of Eastern Pennsylvanians uh, who voted for him who are the very blue collar the last pockets in this country of '90s labor Democrats of which there are like seven pockets left in this entire country of labor Democrats. Well, one of those pockets got him in because Doctor Oz was wasn't is stupid. Yeah. Um, Fetterman realized that he was incredibly unpopular. And also some of the stuff, there's a moment when you just are like, this stuff's stupid. Like, I'm sorry. So like he started saying all of the, the anti-Hamas stuff and started talking about how China needed to be banned from buying U.S. farmland and yeah. a bunch of yeah. other stuff that is kind of sort of right wing populist mixed with 90s labor Democrats because 90s yeah. labor Democrats were populists. There you go. Yeah. That's kind of been interesting to watch because the progressives are like, well, then we're not going to support you. And he's like, yeah, but. I'm sorry, I'm not running to appease the blue haired sociology theater major from, you know, UPenn. I'm running to, you know, I'm running on behalf of the 90s labor Democrat from Allegheny. Yeah. And that's, it's just interesting because the Democrat Party is fracturing, not as bad as the Republican Party is, um, but the Democrat hmm. Party is starting to splinter because. You are. Whenever you bend a piece of wood in half, you are going to have splintering. Yeah. Do you, you foresee? So I'm going into 24 with uh, 2024 because it's it's the election year. No matter what happens on November, it's just like a tragedy. It's just like everything. It's just like I just feel awful. I feel dirty. Our our especially our presidential election just makes me feel dirty. The whole thing. Um, yeah, it's the I, first. Well, it's not the first. It's the third double incumbent election in our nation's history. It's a first? Is it's that... the third double okay. incumbent election in our nation's history. Okay. In which you have a defeated president coming back and duking yeah. it out with the current president. Wait. And so both parties are treating the candidate as the incumbent. That's the that's half of the reason why. First reason is that everyone is, is pissed and wants revenge, who are Trump fans, honest to God. They're just like, they want Trump to come in and like just upset people on the other side of the aisle because the presidential election is just political theater. Um, and the other half are like, well, Trump's the incumbent. Yeah. 
So like no one came out in Iowa. Like yeah. why did no one come out? Well, Trump's the incumbent. Yeah. Okay. They, they a lot of them think that he won the election last time. There were some shady shenanigans at at the very least. At the very least, the media hiding the Hunter Biden story is could be considered for some of those nonprofit five hundred one c threes election interference under. Um, financial laws as the IRS governs how 501c3s operate. So a lot of Republicans holding on to that. We're not even talking about all like the supposed election interference. I'm talking about just like that alone is enough of a reason to say, yeah, the guy was screwed over. He wasn't nearly as bad as they're making him out to be, which is objectively true, objectively based on policy, because Trump didn't actually like do a whole lot of governing politically. He let people handle it. Some of them were good and some of them sucked. But like, you know, yeah, here there, we are. There it is. That's one yeah. of the reasons the Heritage Foundation is doing Project 2025 is they're like, well, you know what? Then we might as well have some conservatives have a hand on the steering wheel, yeah. which is a brilliant move, both politically and societally. Yeah. So do you do you think um, this is kind of treading into conspiratory uh, theory or adjacent? And uh, I don't really have strong opinions on this, but depending it's... on the theory, some conspiracy theories I'm more kind to some of them. I I laugh at because they're very funny, like how Mattress Firm is a money laundering scheme. Um, and then some of them I uh, I detest. So um, okay. you are rolling the dice, just letting okay. you know. Okay, let's see. So um, I just don't see the, the way that 2020 shook out. Um, okay. It, there was a lot of shady stuff, and it just doesn't seem like the regime or the cathedral or whatever it is, this collection that's increasingly unstable, but this collection of people who want to hold power and control power um, and hate Trump. Um, it doesn't seem like they let him win. It doesn't seem like they would let him win again. Do you think that they have the power to not let that happen if, uh, you know, by hook so or whether by they crook. have the power is is yes and no, and the answer is they're already using it, which is the media. Uh, yeah. As to whether the whole country is going to turn Chicago in the middle of the night, I have a theory. I have a I have a rule on conspiracy theories. I have a I have a rule. Um, there is one exception to this rule. James Lindsay's talked about it a little bit, um, and it, it's it's a moral exception. But there's there's a reason, by the way, that this so this actually will tie into the whole conversation. There's a, there's a core reason that I believe that Christ was resurrected from the dead, and that is that 14 men um, were burned, beaten, boiled in oil, actually boiled in oil, filleted at their skin, hung upside down, in almost every most disturbing way imaginable, using torture methods from China, from India from the uh, African uh, tribe, from the Zulu, like all throughout the world's worst methods were used on the apostles and witnesses of Christ's resurrection. They're like, all you have to do is say it didn't happen and you're good. Like just, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll let you die easy. And none of them mm-hmm. uttered a word. Multiple historians can confirm this as farm in far more confirmation than we have of like any other kind of confirmation in history that other sealed pots found in archeological digs are still confirming. Um, therefore to me, that's like, okay, I, that, that I, I, I see that. And, and I juxtapose that to Nixon, Nixon with Watergate, 14 men who had every interest in the world of shutting their damn mouths for two weeks on the Watergate scandal on what happened. They couldn't do it for 10 days in 10 days. It was all over the Washington post. Hmm. So if, if 14 men cannot who literally every one of them it was in their very best interest to just shut their mouths and get away with the crime that's all they got to do 
It's all they have to do. They couldn't do it. Every person, you, me, Biden, Obama, Trump, all the way from Germany to South Africa to, to China to everywhere that you can think of, every adult is making it up as they go. The problem that I find with master level conspiracy that, that like there's this secret extra elite super duper cabal that is like the Illuminati and they're pulling all of the strings and they're not going to let Trump win the next election. Well, first of all, we do have the, the cabal. Um, the WEF is is patently stupid in being very open with who the people are that are pulling the string. Environmental social governments, they are trying that stuff now. They haven't been doing it since the 80s. No, they haven't. They have just now started it and they're getting enormous pushback because here's the thing, guys. Um, people that do conspiracy theories are almost never smart enough to hide the effects of the garbage policy that they're like embezzlement is noticed pretty quickly by even the crappiest of accountants. So I'm just saying, no, I, I don't see it. And even people who'd been to Epstein's Island were talking about Epstein's Island 15 years ago, like as they were going to the island, like it's been very common knowledge and the, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's already evident the mechanisms that we are seeing that are being used against Trump in the general election. So, first of all, the media desperately wanted Trump to be the nominee because they thought he'd be the easiest target. And yeah. so they screwed over every other candidate, some of them in, in for good reasons. Some of them, the candidates also screwed themselves over. Ron DeSantis ran a really awful campaign and the media doubled down and stomped him into the dirt and helped Donald Trump get all the way through to the Iowa primary. And now the media, you see them, they're freaking out because they've realized that Biden is so terrible that Trump can literally pull another 2016. <laughs> and so now they're you've seen literally tonal shift on like seven different publications. And I mean, like from Reuters all the way up to MSNBC on the okay. left spectrum. So I don't see them saying, well, no, we're just not going to let them. I'm sorry, I don't see it. Otherwise, Biden would be appointing Supreme Court justices to the Senate now. Um, I, I and he's not. Um, I, show me, show me the cabal. Show me the actual proof. And I don't mean something from Infowars. Like, show me the genuine, honest to God out in the open. Because people are not this smart. The most okay. evil, super duper evil people in history. I again, everyone is making it up as they go, and the blunders. The reason people switch to ruthless, blunt ruthlessness is because conspiracy doesn't work. It's never worked. Okay. There, there's a, a former, uh, I think, like a assistant director of the CIA who said, like, you don't know how many operations have failed. That's why we stopped doing coups, because they just weren't successful. Not because we got so good at it, we went, like, really quiet and were manipulating the world. It's because conspiracies do not work. Hmm. They, like, they don't. They're, they're awful. As soon as the Post had that story, it was exposed or not the post, um, the, the Twitter hid that story that the po about Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. Like you can't even do certain shady things without evidential claim being provided pretty much instantaneously, which is why Bill Gates is a really awful person, but he's not some evil mastermind yeah. um, because you can see all the crap that he's doing that he's awful for, but that he's using it to drain the blood of children to fund super vaccines I've seen too many vaccines work under the microscope to be pilled mm. on that one. I mean, I've watched them in action. And the COVID mRNA vaccine is scientifically and definitionally not a vaccine. So 
apples yeah. and oranges. Sorry, well, I, that's yeah. the whole gamut. And also, sorry, if this episode airs on YouTube, you will now have the COVID-19 Yeah, yeah I, have to, I actually have to take that the out video. because they, they already, they already uh, um, I'll just, uh, I'll put it on the screen. But um, so I, I, I got to uh, wrap up the episode. My, my headphones are dying. Somebody's at the door, but. Um, oh, sorry about that. No, it's uh, it's uh, so I'm trying to like just articulate or, or get get you to articulate. There's this mode of being in the world. It is Christian. It is Midwest. Um, so I just, I guess, the question is like, what have you been up to? What are you doing? And and where are you headed? I guess. And and I think I got like a taste of all those things. But like just directly, concretely, where can people find you? What's coming up? You you, you dropped a couple of stories, but what do you expect for 2024? For your show. So it's a good question. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Vitonus, T-H-E-T-O-N-U-S. You can find uh, my column over on a dailysignal.com. Uh, you can also find the Tony Kinnick cast, which is the nightly radio show and podcast on your podcasting services. It's on it's live streamed wow. on YouTube. And then um, it's also on the air if you're in the Indianapolis, greater central Indiana area. Uh, as far as where I'm going in 2024, it's funny. You're like, where, where are you going towards? The answer is, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not aiming. I'm. I'm not like. Uh, I. I had an opportunity to run for Congress in in January because Greg Pence, Mike Pence's brother, um, is stepping down, not running again. And I had a lot of questions. Are you going to run for Congress? And I and I said no. Um, and that actually kind of kicked a question in. It's like, well, then where am I going? Like, what ladder am I trying to climb? And I can honestly say that I don't have one. I'm not trying to get a slot on Fox or a big, huge, massive national following. I grew this stupid Twitter account to 350,000 followers and found out immediately how absolutely pointless in the world that is, uh, the Ministry of Truth account. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just in this because I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And so you'll see more investigations come out. You'll see me... Uh, providing more of like a common Hoosier analysis that has a little bit of traditional conservatism, a little bit of libertarianism, mm -hmm. very rarely some populism and establishment stuff sprinkled in where necessary. And uh, I'm just kind of seeing what comes. That may be a piano duet with Michael Knowles. That may be a, yeah. um, heck, I don't know. That depends. Where, uh, where do you put your writing? Is there, do you write for a publication right now or do you have your own? I do. I write for the, the Daily Signal. So okay. dailysignal.com, um, you can find my list of columns. And occasionally I write for other outlets. I've been a little busy lately. So I think yeah. Washington Examiner just republished my uh, my obituary on Gaston Glock. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I saw I saw that on your Twitter feed. Um, and uh, it will, and, and finally, lastly, thank you for that piano concerto that you put online. That's kind of what got me to have you back on. Like I, I just saw it on Twitter and I just put it on while I was doing some work. It was just really lovely to have you playing for me. Hi, um, I appreciate that. So I, I've always wanted a baby regularly. grand yeah. my whole li life. I, I've loved piano. My wife and I got to know each other by playing in a jazz orchestra together. Oh, really? Um, and so piano is just i yeah i've played for church i used to play a lot in college um and uh, i don't know so yeah i was like i want to be on twitter and not paying attention to the iowa <laughs> primary so i'm oh, just gonna yeah, do yeah. a live stream because our piano had just been finished serviced that day okay. and i wouldn't it wasn't able to touch it for seven days because the left basically like the lower octaves they all had the strings keyed really tight to pull some of the hammer housings 
Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's like a piano from 1938. Um, and, uh, we just recently got it. So I was so excited to play. I'm like, you know, it'd be a really great excuse to play hop on a live stream. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank oh, you for, I, I really uh, appreciate the invitation time today. You're doing great work. Um, keep at it and I'll send all my audience over to your stuff. Links will be in the description for you guys. That's very kind. And, uh, if anyone ever has any questions or wants to chat, feel free to reach out. I, I don't, uh, I don't ignore messages. No, you're not much of a gatekeeper for, for, for your own time, I guess. Oh, it's a nice closer. <laughs> all right. See you later, man. And it.